It's time for the Masters of the Universe Chronicles commentary, focusing on a classic episode as we join the hosts, Chris Vint and James Etock, and hear their thoughts on their chosen episode. Hello and welcome yet again to another Master of the Universe Chronicles commentary. I should really just abbreviate that to be M-O-T-U-C-C because somebody who likes initials is James E. Talk who likes double K, Cobra Khan. Hello, James. Hello. How are you, CV? <laughs> I am fine, J-E. And uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Looking forward to uh, this uh, latest commentary. Oh, I see. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to be uh, discussing today? It is going to be one of the best episodes of the series, Double Edged Sword. Double? Double. Double Edged Sword. So that's Double Edged Sword for any of you who don't speak E-Talk. Um, yeah, I'm look, personally looking forward to this. One of my, uh, another one of my picks, you know. Um, I tried to take a turn about that, you know, James picks a couple of episodes to talk about. And I would pick a couple that are probably dear to my heart, you know. And I'm sure this one, James, as you said, you know, like is one of the, the best episodes of uh, season one. So uh, are you ready to rock and or roll? Oh yes, I am. Um, okay. Just get, just, there we go. Right, good okay, one. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Bang! I hope he doesn't damage my TV by punching it. There <laughs> we go. Yeah. So, Bing. yeah, another filmation presents human in the master of the universe. Um, James, with us here, obviously, there's a very unique character in this here. If you want to um, talk a little bit about him, which character is that? Uh, it would be the, one of the main characters, you know, the one that is in like a, almost like the wheelchair, so to speak. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, um, oh, blimey. Uh, Ch- is it Chad's grandfather? Is it yes, Chad? yeah. Yeah, because yeah, a few episodes later we get Thad. So there's, I, and they both look exactly the same character. So once in a while I forget which one's which. <laughs> yeah. Chad's uh, grandfather, who's uh, in, a, in a jet chair, is very, very, very character in terms of his backstory which we don't find out till the very end of the episode but um, mm. it's worth waiting for definitely yeah and uh, obviously uh, as you were saying you know like uh, for me another one of those characters you know that you don't see again but has a really awesome voice you know like we've talked on uh, uh, you know like in one of the earlier episodes about the voice acting you know at Filmation and yeah. for me you know like that was one of the best uh, voices of just like a character and written by Robbie London that's right, yeah, who's uh, pretty much the most, uh, well, the earliest pensmith, I'm going to use the word there, of uh, the Master Universe series. He uh, he wrote a lot of the early ideas for the, the cartoon, and um, also, amusingly enough, well, I don't think many people know this, when he was writing the, the first scripts, uh, the, no- the scripts would go off to Michael Halperin, who wrote the series Bible, who would make notes. The notes would come back, and, you know, uh, the scripts would be changed. So Michael Halperin sadly didn't get credited on this series at all and yet had a say in how the scripts were written mm. or certain ones anyway okay so here we see them going down to uh, check on some Eternium which helps power all the things in Eternium and um, we'll, I'll talk about something later on regarding uh, Eternium but I'll wait until a certain character and try and get in before a certain somebody steals what I'm <laughs> going to say you know <laughs> I'll beat you to it the funny thing about uh, Eternium is, much like, it, it's definitely a plot convenience, it's, it's what I think praises the MacGuffin, where it's, it's something which the story initially revolves around, 
Now, you look at any other series, episode in the series, they never mention Eternium at all. It's one of those things that uh, works for the episode. Like, for instance, in The Star Child, the worst episode of the series, they actually, um, that's actually the title of the episode, is what I call it. Um, they actually, the, the Royal Palace is powered by a central, uh, like, power thing that He-Man restarts just by spinning it. So it's like for each episode, however the power's lost, it's you know oh let's it's going to be this way and it's going to be that way and in this episode it's Eternium. And you, the one thing I question is why didn't they have another piece ready? You know do they why, they know they know it's going to go at some point. Are we just going to let it you know? But that's kind of like us with double A batteries. We'll take them out of the remote, we'll bang them, we'll rub them, we'll put that's them true. back in different ways, and now we'll say, Yeah, I got more life out of that. It's <laughs> very true. I was so, a, um, an amusing illustration I got when I started speaking to Robert Lamb, like back in, goodness knows, 1998, I think it was. On the first things he sent me was a, an illustration by um, storyboard artist uh, Bob Ford from this episode. And what it was, was there was an instruction in the script that uh, Chad's gun, as you can see here, was not supposed to resemble a gun because Filmation were very much against guns. So he drew Chad holding a pineapple instead. The interesting thing is um, Chad, we find out in The Eternia Flower, which is uh, episode 112 of season 2, we find out that he's got an older brother called Jarno. And um, even though the grandfather doesn't show up, Chad ap appears in the uh, episode again. Same character with, with Burby, his little uh, fuzzby, little flying character. So the characters, you know, were deemed good enough to make a reappearance. It's just a shame the grandfather didn't appear, reappear in the series. Yeah, yeah. Whose name in the scripts? Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was. There was one of the, one of the scripts. He he's, um, was referred to as Vince. I don't know if that was the name they settled on. But Vince was one of them. I can't remember the final one, but I think commonly he's just known as Chad's grandfather. Here we see King Randor sitting on his throne, and the ever-present Marlena not actually there. Yeah, he's just. I like the idea that Randor's just in his throne, just sitting there by himself, <laughs> just chilling. Just chilling. <laughs> I was an interesting scene coming up with uh, Beast Man and uh, Trapjaw um, chained to the view screen. And if you if, uh, interesting, if you listen, Merman talks about Skeletor's Doombuster, uh, which is also mentioned in Disappearing Act, which is the third episode of the series. So these characters are referenced in the Doombuster. The ship, the Doombuster itself, uh, would not appear until episode 80 of the series, which was the Shadow of Skeletor. So they always talk about the Doombuster, and we never see it though. <laughs> There's Panther sitting there with no armor on, which is quite yeah, unusual. That's true. Very, very rarely do we see Panther without the armor. I think in um, No Job Too Small, Panther shows up armorless. I think. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, I'm not wrong about that. But um, yeah, now we see um, the the jet chair within a jet chair, as it were, within a, a, a levitate a ship of levitational abilities. So obviously, now we know that Trap John Merman are going after the Eternium, and uh, before he says it, obviously they. Uh, use this in the 2002 show whenever um, the walls keep being broken into, you know, like they keep freeing prisoners. So, Man at Arms or Stratos suggests why not get some Eternium? Uh, the episode Trust. So, um, there's an episode wherever the Kulatux, I think they're called. The um, 
Yeah, whenever uh, Trapjaw starts eating him and thinks it's a turnium, but it's not, and goes like, it's not a term, what does it do? It makes you sick. And then he has like the, almost like the guillotine, you know, like on him, so. Um, and the color talk was voiced by somebody from the New Adventures, who voiced He-Man, if I'm right. Um, actually, no, I think the color talk leader was voiced by Campbell Lane, who was the voice of Skeletor in the New Adventures of He-Man. Oh, I knew it was from New Adventures, but I didn't know what, what one it was. Oh, close. Yeah, close but no cigar. <laughs> Just as well, I don't smoke. <laughs> Here we go. So suddenly, um, Chad's grandfather's got uh, some, you know, precision. He's got some gun skills, put it that way, much to their surprise. And I, I like the fact that even we don't know. We're like, well, why has he got, you know, he talked about, you know, fighting isn't the fun and games that he makes it out. Why, why, does, why does this old man, you know, why is he so proficient with a gun? We'll find out at the end of the episode. Here's the... Uh, I think, believe in the script, it was called the Spidosaur. <laughs> they really know how to come up with a name. Oh, by the way, you were saying earlier on about, you know, like, the Eternium, you know, like, this is the only episode that you really see it in. Was it Mattel who maybe said, here, put Eternium in, because we're going to release that as an add-on for some of the figures, perhaps? Oh, no, no, I, I doubt that. <laughs> the only thing I think is it might be is probably in the series Bible, Eternium is mentioned. Because, obviously, Michael Halperin worked on the 2002 series Bible, to an extent, or at least a bit of backstory, and um, I, he probably re re included Eternium, as it were. Hmm. And uh, here's Oracle, uh, mainly making Mechanic feel useless that he can actually get a periscope to come out from under his hat. <laughs> it's interesting that it was seen kind of with um, the transformation that the. the uh, the camera actually holds for, as they call it in animation terms, a beat. It holds for a beat on the sword, so the camera pans out. Instead of like the lightning coming out straight away, it gives it, it almost gives it time for the He-Man to go, He-Man! You'll see it. Ah. So, so, little moments like that I, I catch because, like I say, I was uh, always intrigued by the transformation sequence. Funnily enough, when it came to She-Ra, um, the Adora bit when she unsheathed the sword, that was part of the stock footage. So they, they did it with, I think, either Light Sky or Night Sky to cut even more costs. And unfortunately, this led to some errors sometimes, like um, I think it was in the Red Knight when it's daytime, Adora reaches for the sword and suddenly it's nighttime, where they obviously put in the Ron Stock sequence. Well, hopefully, we can, once we've covered, you know. A lot of episodes in Master Universe. We can move on to Princess of Power as well, okay, and the 2002 yeah. stuff as well. Which, personally speaking, I'm quite excited for. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Here we go. Zapping a monster. He man, That's obviously, looks like he was about to, you know, have a sword in his hand and then well, just like cut away there. Famous animation where he leaps off battle cannon. He's supposed to be holding a sword. You can see it in Diamond Road disappearance. He, before he con confronts Trapdoor, he's holding the sword. But for some reason, they did. The cell was like a separate part. Uh, the cell of the sword was a separate piece of animation. So when they choose not to use the cell of the sword, you just have him holding his hand out, looking really odd. <laughs> Good little gag from him, man. Yeah. yeah. Put, put your finger here for a second. It must be rubbish at uh, wrapping Christmas presents. <laughs> I love this as well. Whenever He-Man walks behind him. Oh yeah. Just love that animation. He's, he's always looking across. You're a little late, Oracle. <laughs> I should talk about this episode, you know, um, Robbie London wrote it. It was basically a reaction, I think, because obviously He-Man, you know, press was being written about He-Man as the series was airing. And this was episode 42, which probably maybe aired a few 
maybe in the 50s or something, you know, a few episodes later down the line. Um, and the interesting thing was that He-Man was obviously, con- uh, what do you say, courting bad publicity. Like It's violent, it's a toy advert, it's primarily violent. So Robbie London wrote this script like as a reaction to like violence. You think well, this is a violent show? So he goes to tell this story of like you know violence is the the least thing that is you know there's there's a cause and effect for it. And in this show, you know they, they go on to explain that. It's a great end to the act though of these two, you know, toasted. So we met Eternium. Yeah, Merman seems to team up with a lot of people because obviously he teams up with Trapjaw here and uh, Prince a- Prince Adam no more is it? Whenever he teams up with Beastman. Um, yeah, he's with Beastman in that one. He's with Beastman in the search. He's with Whiplash in uh, Island of Fear, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, Island of Fear. I'm trying to think what other ones, man. Because during the second season, Merman kind of fades out, whereas Trapjaw stays. You know, mm-hmm. continues to appear. There were certain villains that were favourites. I think it was Evil in. Trapjaw and Beastman, as well as Skeletal, Merman and Triclops, especially Triclops, just kind of uh, faded away. Orko just uh, really emulating Man at Arms with just having so much in his hat. <laughs> I like the always like the design of Burby. He's a fuzzby, which I think is a, I like this. Just drowns the poor little crowd. It's just such a weird design. It's like what an e- it's part elephant, part bee. It, it you know flies by whirling its tail. And it, weirdly, in um in the Attorney Flower, Cringe is terrified of of Burby. Uh-huh. Oh, and here we get a great scene with uh, Merman. Is it Merman and Trapjaw high atop um these weird rock structures in the desert? We see. It's very Looney Tunes. This it's very like something Wiley K would you would see yeah, him doing. Actually, I didn't think of that, but yeah. <laughs> first time you, first and probably only time you see Trapjaw having that extension on, you know, like the a wench, a wench, sorry, wench. He didn't have an 18 serving wench <laughs> on his arm, he had a wench. He calls it the dropper. I like the way he calls Merman a seafaring sissy. So it's not a good line. <laughs> fun to stop her. Yeah, fun to stop Well, the, the, the interesting thing about this as well is um, in the, again, in the original script, Robbie London. Who wrote Diamond Red Prince was all about. I think Trapjaw must have been one of his favourite villains because he always gave him great dialogue, but also he gave him. He, he was the one who always gave him new inventions. He gave him a swatter in Driel's return. Obviously, he gives him the dropper and the grabber in this episode. The energy bow in um, Diamond Red Disappearance. <laughs> but uh, I like this. No wonder it's called a dropper. Did you hear something? Yes, and something tells me it's. Oh, he's so intelligent, and this here is just absolutely terrible. Just, <laughs> just that there, just like da da, coming to get you. It's like more like the tickler than anything. Yes, <laughs> that's one of his other devices. The tickler. There's him <laughs> doing that pose with his hand out, right? I always remember as a kid, I always remember really loving this action scene. It's it's really cool. I mean, the what the 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 idea of giving Trapjaw the glowing eyes is very cool. Which was again, a, you know, com- not not overly complicated, but it it wasn't as easy as Filmation could have made it. They had to expose the animation, you know, and have these as uh, it's a long process. But it's it's a long process for something so small as his eyes, you know. So it, put, it proved that when they they needed to, they put a lot of work into this. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the grabber is it's the only time we see trapped with something that resembles a, another an extra hand because it is, you know, fingers really. Yeah. So obviously he had like the claw, and you know that yeah. that would probably be his only other one. 
there was um there was a scene here as well. It was in the script where Trapjaw emerges, and <laughs> I'm glad they didn't include it. No offense to Robbie London, but um, he was uh he, Trapjaw was to put a blow dry attachment on and, and stop himself from rusting. <laughs> so that's awful. Yeah, that that that, nearly, this way, that nearly made it into the episode because it was in the script that was approved. So whether or not that got eliminated at the storyboard stage. There's some great dialogue in this. So the, one of the best ones is um, this is a great. <laughs> that man comes springing out. Damn. Oh, wait, I should have stayed in Snake Mountain. What I like. A great <laughs> <laughs> I, I love He-Man's dialogue about. I used to make the same mistake myself when he talks about um, Trapjaw running into the wall. And I like that because it just implies that uh, you know He-Man used to not know his own strength basically and, and crash yeah. into things there was an episode of Family Guy whenever Stewie's playing with Lion-O and He-Man and uh, he's just playing with him and He-Man hits Lion-O and he goes like oh I'm sorry did that hurt and he goes like yes oh I and you know voices Lion-O as if to say <laughs> oh I'm sorry you don't know your own strength do you <laughs> yeah I like this eating his way out he just, could just walk out the hole he made so but this is the only the only tragic part of the episode, really, is that, well, aside from the sad story at the end, but is that I, I wish Trapjaw's power had lasted longer. Yeah, very much like uh, the Ambrosia effect that, you know, yeah. they would have. It's like, oh, cool, Trapjaw's got the same kind of strength as He-Man, then it's like, oh, it's over. Also, in the original script, when Burby grabs the Eternium, Trapjaw still has, like, all this power going through him, so I don't know if Trapjaw is, is topping himself up, as it were. But Burby eats this while Trapjaw's still a threat. But now, obviously, in this final episode, uh, the final produced episode, Trapjaw is now no longer a threat. We get to see I like the way he calls Trapjaw a magical creature. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. I should I mentioned a couple of Brave Star factoids about this episode. Um, the plot of the episode, obviously, about a grandfather trying to make his grandson understand the dangers of guns was uh, used in a Brave Star episode uh, To Walk a Mile if you go and watch that episode you'll see but another interesting uh, thing about this episode is that a lot of the dialogue in the scenes in many of the scenes was actually reused for another Brave Star episode called An Older Hand even though it's a different story they borrowed a lot of dialogue so it's very you know sometimes formation borrowed from themselves yeah or who was it who did an episode and later went on to write Transformers and it was near enough the same story. Oh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, he admitted that. That's David Wise. He did um, Day of the Machines. That's what it was. Robot control, like uh, uh, a creature controls um, all the machines. Did that with He-Man, Transformers, and even with, I think it was called Mean Machines for Ninja Turtles, one of the first episodes of that series. So I mean, David Wise says, you know, it's, I, I write a script. Um, it's one that you can use throughout many um, yeah. series, which just makes sense. And here we get, I think, one of the uh, great scenes of the series. You know, it's like, oh, poor Chad's upset that Burby's, you know, sick and po possibly going to die. But his grandfather's story is, like, amazing that it deals with death and everything. A true testament to filmation as well, because, you know, it's a really touching speech and it hasn't, it doesn't involve any of the main characters either. Agreed, agreed, yeah. I like the, the whole thing as well. I was talking about you know the fact that he can no longer walk. I could run, walk, play ball, just like and he's got. Like you say, he's got a great voice. Mm -hmm. And here we go. It's just, it's just such a. It's, it's you know it's a flashback. Yes, 
he's um you know like he said with the other one you know to do with um dark dream you know like and it has the blurry edges around so it's either a dream or a flashback okay yes um the, it's it's this bit when you yeah obviously he makes a mistake and you see the whole mountainside c crumble when it cuts back to him and his, his dialogue is i think it's along the lines of uh i was one of the, the lucky ones about him not being able to walk many mm -hmm. didn't come out at all implying that you know he killed his own you know obviously by accident many of his own soldiers I would never walk again, but I was one of the lucky ones. Many didn't come out at all. It's powerful stuff, man. Yep. This, this, you see, that's why the silence, you know, James and I are both welling up there. Yeah, just gets me every time. But it is, it is beautifully written, <laughs> and like you said about the voice, it's just so, you know, wonderfully acted. It's um, John Irwin who plays He-Man doing the voice, and it's just, you know, just delivered beautifully. I love the way this I like this bit, this just seems cruel. Oh your animal's dead. No he's not Yeah. <laughs> just might as well just come out with his head down and just shook his head and went like no just just, just kidding. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> he went, that was a really cool trick. But I like this because um you know that it's it, it's given uh, Chad the option that, you know, war is you know, violence is bad and bad things can happen. Like, you know. But also at the very end of the episode, they don't really, you know, make that. That's there's no other way. You know, he actually says if you do think about wanting to join the royal guard, I think. So I always like that. It's the fact that they weren't saying no, no, never. You know, we would yeah. never. Ever. It, it gives them the option of saying, look, you know, you can serve. You know, <laughs> you you can serve your fellow Eternian, and um, you know, you don't necessarily be involved in killing or whatever. It's just I, I just like the idea that it's not. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's your decision to make. It's your decision, yeah. Or your grandfather. And obviously, He-Man must have known him before that because, you know, he knew about him not wanting to use his blaster and, you know, like, or like your grandfather. So there must have been a bit of backstory there with He-Man yeah. as well. Definitely. Definitely. You know, so I slightly, uh. Yeah, it's, it's one of it's, 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 a, it's a touching episode. It's one of the best. It, it combines action with character heavy dialogue. And this. I still think it's probably the the best moral of the series. Just because I'd like to just say let us play it, but uh, well, it's a pl it plays at the end of it, so they'll yeah. they'll hear it at the end of the episode um, anyway. It's just so beautifully delivered because I love the fact that He-Man basically turns to her and says, you know, this is this is just a TV show you're watching. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the character. I'm, I'm it's it's the. Um, it's very brave of Filmation and Robbie London to do that, to say, well, we, what you're watching is not real. Because mm -hmm. obviously as kids you know that, but you invest a lot into it, that as a kid, you, you know, you get caught, caught up in the world, but you don't expect the characters to go, this is just a show. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> I can't believe you said that. But um, yeah, a, a beautifully written episode. I think it's probably one of, if not Robbie London's uh, best episodes. Yeah, I'd yeah. probably rank up there with one of my, probably in my top ten, definitely. Uh, it was one of my, that's why I decided to pick it. It's just uh, I just love the episode, just the sentiment that the it gives everyone. Um, so would it, you know, like would it rank up there with yours as well? Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, again, I, I I don't think it's in the same kind of. I don't think it's your Prince Adam No More or your Taylor's Quest, but it's just under that. Put it that way. It's it, it's better than most, but it's not the greatest. But it's you know, it's easily up there. Yeah. 
Okay, well, thank you once again, James, for lending me your voice and uh, not not me personally, but uh, you know, like you coming on and uh, sharing a bit of info about the um, the episode double e- double egged sword or whatever way you said it earlier on. So uh, it's always been a pleasure talking to you and finding out uh, little bits of information about the characters and the Master Universe world. So once again, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, having me on the show once again, or this little commentary. I look forward to the next one. Bring it on. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, bring it on indeed. So thank you very much, folks, for listening, and until next time. Sometimes movies and television adventure series like this one make it seem as though shooting a gun, fighting, and taking chances are fun and exciting things to do. And what's more, the good guys never get hurt. But in real life, people do get hurt, even killed when they fight or use guns. Make-believe can be fun, and there's nothing wrong with imagining great adventures. But never forget that when it's the real thing, someone can get hurt. Even the good guys. Even you. Let the power return!